Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here. I was here the first day you had a service, and uh, I come once in a while to see how the church is doing, and it's a pleasure to see you gather together in worship, and I'm excited to share from the Word this morning. And I need to make a disclaimer before I begin, especially before I show you this. I'm not an artist. I never intended to be an artist. That's not what I'm called to be. I'm called to be a minister, but So as you see this picture, you'll realize quickly you're not an artist. If some of you are an artist, you'll realize that. But I have this hanging by my desk at work. And it's just a simple picture. I tried to do some watercoloring and bleed it together, and it didn't really work. And I got to the point I just said, I'm just going to use a black magic marker to finish it off, make it simple. And I don't hang it up because I want to show off my artwork. That's not what I'm doing when I'm at work or it's near my desk. What's important to me is what I have written next to it. And I try to see this as often as I can. It says this. Why is it so easy for me to forget what it took for me to live? Again, let me say that. Why is it so easy for me to forget what it took for me to live? It's been seven days. 160 some hours since Easter. Spring is, well, I guess I shouldn't say spring is on the way. It doesn't feel like it outside. But it's so easy for us to have Easter celebrate Good Friday, even if we think about it. It used to be in the day, days ago where they'd shut everything down from noon to three and everyone would go to church and focus on the cross. Easter was a big celebration. It's come and gone. And it's so easy for us, if you're in school, to think, please, Lord, give me grace during finals so I can get out of here. And your mind is thinking about other things. And it's so easy to forget about the cross. When in reality, this is something we should be thinking about every day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege to come and worship you. And Lord, as Pastor Jerry said, we just pray for those down south as they gather together maybe not even in their church anymore that you would be celebrated and people who are in devastation right now that they would hear the message of easter again and find life in you and lord i pray that this morning you would guide my words and as we dig in your word that you would truly move in our hearts and cause us to ponder the effects of the cross in our life today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you could take your Bibles and turn to the middle of the Bible. Go ahead, turn to the middle of the Bible. Some of you are smiling about that, and some of you are, yeah, there you go. You're kind of lining it up going, okay, where's that middle? So just turn to the middle of the Bible if you could. If the Bible's new to you, you might be doing that. Okay, okay, where's that middle? And if you open it up, most likely you'll turn to Psalm. Somewhere in time. Does anybody, in fact, know where the middle of the Bible is? What chapter would be the middle? If you'd go chapter by chapter, in fact, some people in prison, if they get a Bible, they just say, okay, find out what the middle of the Bible is. They go chapter, they got a lot of time to do that. Anybody know what the middle of the Bible is? Yeah? Psalm 118. Yeah, Psalm 118 is the middle of the Bible, right next to the shortest chapter. In fact, it's next to the longest chapter. But we're not turning to that middle of the Bible this morning. What would be another middle of the Bible? Not to play with your mind here too much, but what would be possibly another middle of the Bible? Not just page by page, yeah? Old and New Testament, yes. you got the Old Testament. There's six, six books in the Bible. Matthew. 
the beginning of the New Testament. The whole Old Testament is pointing to what God has done. He's, he's made a covenant with his people, and he's saying, hey, I am your God. You will be my people, and I have a promise for you. You keep failing. I'm not going to fail, so I'm going to make a new covenant. It's going to be the new covenant. Here it is. That's a middle of the Bible. Okay? We're not going to that middle of the Bible. What would be another middle of the Bible? Maybe someone might even say Revelation. Well, we could, if we had some time, look and go, that could be a middle of the Bible. Or what about the book of Acts? That could be a middle of the Bible. Christ has come. He's dead. He's he's risen again. And he's given the great commission to go out and do it. And then it begins. If you would turn with me to the book of Romans. Some of you who know me smile when I say Romans because that's the book. Romans chapter 12. And if you have a new Bible, got one of the Bridge Bibles, it's on page 788. 788. Romans chapter 12. And this morning I just want to look at one verse. Verse 1. And why do I say this is the middle of the Bible? Well, partially because of that first word there. Therefore. Therefore. The book of Romans is so beautiful. Paul has been penning out, writing out what has been happening throughout all of Scripture. Chapter 1, starting with verse 18, all the way up to chapter 320, he's been talking about sin and the reality of sin and what God's response is to sin and the wrath of God and our plight in sin. And there's death and there's just no way we can do it. And then there's law, but even when the law is there, we still can't do it. And, And it's just, it's horrible. But then I love... Romans chapter 3, 21. But now a righteousness from God has been made known, to which the law and prophets... All of this talks about it. Why do I say this is a middle of the Bible? Because of that word, therefore. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, all the way through 11, he's been using verbs that are indicative, telling, stating truth. And then in 12 and following, the verbs switch dramatically to imperative. Paul's been saying, all of this, all of this, and then he says, therefore. Take a look at what it says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. All of this is about God's mercy. Every page Shows God's great mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that's what last week was about. Good Friday and Easter. The good message of this that there's one God, He's created us in His image, He made us good, but we failed. We went against His holy plan. And as, it's, as we see in Romans, God would be just to condemn us forever, but in his great love, the eternal Son of God took on flesh, fully God, fully man, lived a life of obedience all the way to the cross, and died for the world, died for those who believe in him, and trust in him, and have eternal life. Don't forget that message. Don't be like, oh, Easter's gone, and now I go on to summertime, other things. This is all about Christ 
and his great mercy. But now what? Easter's come and gone. Now what? It's kind of like Paul, chapter 1 through 11, has been penning out, writing out all about God's great love in Christ. And here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, or I could say this, because of the cross, here it is. I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul's been indicating, he's been unfolding God's message to us. But now he says we are to do something about it. What are we to do? Let's take a look. He says, offer your bodies, your flesh, everything that you have, offer yourself as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. And Paul qualifies this sacrifice with three adjectives. Living, holy, and pleasing. And what I want to do this morning is dig into what does this mean to be a sacrifice and what does it look like. Well, the first one is this, a living sacrifice rather than a dead one. I know that in God's great plan and redeeming history and somehow he's put me in there to the praise of his glorious grace, he's done this. And I know that somehow in my life and then in my death, he will use my death to glorify him. I don't know how it's going to be. might be grand, might be small, might just be for my kids or whatever. But he used my death for his glory. But he's called us right now to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. I am not my own. I now belong to Christ. I've written, I have this written out. It says, we have died. Now get on the task of living for him. We have died. Read Romans chapter 6, please. Go home today and just look at the first part of Romans 6 where it talks about how we have, we're dead. Christ died and we're, we're dead in Him. And now we're to live, no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We are to live for Him. We have died, now get on the task of living for Him. You know, it's so easy for us to live and be about ourselves. Especially in our culture, in our society, it's so easy to bring your name big. Last summer alone, I preached over 100 different times. Two summers ago, I think it was, I preached at Life Fest. Have you heard of Life Fest, the big Christian festival in Wisconsin? And I remember they kept kind of emailing and saying, hey, send me pictures, send, you know, send us pictures of yourself, do some stuff, give us a big bio. And it is so easy especially in the Christian world, to make your name big. And I find it so hard to make the name of Christ big. We are to live so others see Him. We are to live so others see Him. Your life is not about you. It's about bringing glory to Him. In God's plan of redeeming history, He's placed you here at this time for His purpose. It's not by chance you live in the greatest state of Wisconsin. Great state of the Union, 
we live here. It's the greatest state. It's not by chance you're here. It's not by chance that you have the job you have. You're living in the neighborhood you are. It's not just by chance that you're, oh, I'm in this class because that's where I've chosen. God has placed you there for his purpose to live for him so others would see him in you. We are to be a living sacrifice. I find it interesting, in the Old Testament, they needed a sacrificial system to bring to continue that relationship with God. We see that in Leviticus, a hard book to read, but it's so beautiful. This is how you maintain and restore that relationship once it's broken. They needed sacrifices. Then the great sacrifice came last week. We celebrated that. Now we are called to be living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they needed priests to come and kind of mediate, intercede in that. And then the great high priest came. We celebrated that last year. Now we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are called to be the priest, to live for him. In the Old Testament, they needed the temple. That was a place where God would dwell and meet the people. Then Christ came. And that veil was torn, the curtain was torn. And the dwelling of God is now with man, as we see in the Gospels. Now the dwelling is here. We are to live so others see Christ. Let me give you an example. When I, when I was, I think I was only 20 years old, I was asked, I just started preaching the word a little bit, and I was asked to preach at this conference, a 100-year celebration in Minnesota, and a denomination that wasn't my denomination. I was like, they got the wrong guy, but I'm going anyways. I went a couple days early, saw some of my friends. We went to a Christian festival. There's, there's a couple bands and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going. This is going to be great. I'm going to get to preach the word on this young guy. They have no idea what's happening. I don't either, but I'm going anyways. And I was kind of thinking about myself. I needed some diet shampoo to kind of shrink my head down a little bit. And I remember we were hanging out, and the first band got up, and we're all like, yeah. They, they, they're jamming to their tongue. We're like, whoa, this is great. In fact, we sing some of their songs in our church services today, even. We were singing the songs. They got really slow and got all serious and quiet. And they say Jesus, and we we're like, oh, you know, we get all okay. And then, then they play some louder songs. And the last song, at the end of that, the, the lead singer gets up and says, hey, if you want to meet us at the end of this, we'll be at the big tent. And we kind of look over. They had this huge circus tent set up, and their booth was there. And we're like, whoa, let's go. Let's meet us. This will be great. Then another band got up, and they started singing their songs, doing their stuff, and they're all like, yeah, look at us. We're like, wow, there they are. Look at them. I've never been this close to them. I thought they were fake. This is real. You know? They sing, they say, Jesus, we all get all serious. And then at the end, the lead singer says, hey, if you want to meet us, meet us at the big tent. We're going to the big tent. Then the next band gets up, and my friend goes, is that the janitor? It's a guy with kind of long hair, looks kind of old. And I look, I go, no, this is Resband. Does anybody know who Resband is? All right, one, two people. Yeah, Resband, I'm, I'm surprised Jerry didn't raise hand. I'm like, yeah, there's these old guys from the 60s and 70s, leftover kind of the hippie era, Jesus people, and they're from Chicago, and they, they kind of got this communion stuff. I used to do homeless ministry with them. Just, oh, just, I'm like, this is Resband. These guys are great. And my friend's like, do they need the oxygen? They're up there jamming. And, and they say Jesus, and we're all get serious. And then their last song. Then the lead singer says, hey, at the end of all the bands, if you want to pray, meet us by our booth. And one person went, yay! Oh, okay. A lot different than the other bands. And then the next band got to kind of build up to the most famous band of the time. 
when that big band got done, before he had a chance to say, if you want to meet us, we, you know, thousands of people got boom, boom, marched to that big tent. And we jam in there trying to see all the bands. And that first band, I remember seeing him, and I just remember going, there's mobs, they're right in the center, mobs of people around him with their Sharpie markers and their glossy photos. And I'm like, wow, there's that band. And I thought, where's, where's Res Band? I'm kind of looking around. I remember turning over here, and there they were kind of put in the corner. And there was Glenn Kaiser, the lead singer of the band, on his knees, weeping with a woman. And everything got quiet for me. I remember just turning to the other band and just seeing mobs of people and just, me, me, me. And I saw a band. And I remember turning over here and I saw Jesus. How could you not, in light of the cross, therefore I urge you, I plead with you, in view of God's mercy, because of the cross, don't live for yourself. Live for Christ so others see him. This is not about you. This is not about what kingdom you can build. God has placed you at this time for his purpose. If it was up to me, I would have been placed maybe out west in the 1800s with a name like Cody on a horse with a gun. The DNR couldn't tell me how many deer I could not shoot. It'd be great. I would love it. But God has placed me here at this time for his purpose so others would see him in me. Be a living sacrifice live so others see him the next word that he used to qualify what kind of sacrifice we are to be we are to be a living sacrifice and we are also to be a holy sacrifice <laughs> this is where we could uh, sit down and have a long chat Holiness seems to be a word that isn't a buzzword or even a common word to us right now. We're so caught up in the world and we're so caught up in the affairs of this world. And we just, we don't realize the seriousness of sin. Christ has come once for all. He has paid that price. Now we are to be holy. You have many options in this world. The kind of music you like to listen to, the kind of clothing you like, the kind of whatever you want to do, the food you want to eat. And sometimes we put holiness into that category as, oh, it's an option. Is holiness an option? No. Some of you got John 3.16 down. That's in the Bible one time. Be holy, for I am holy eight times. Do you have that down? Holiness. We are to be holy. What, what does holiness mean? It, it, we, we understand it through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a couple of ways to understand holiness is set apart from the profane. Set apart from the profane. Holy. If you would try to embarrass me by calling me 
a dork or an idiot, you probably couldn't embarrass me. You could laugh at me, say I dress funny, that's fine with me. My wife does it all the time. It doesn't embarrass me at all. You could maybe say that I'm a, is it the team over there? Oh, yeah, Vikings, that's their name. You could say maybe I'm a Vikings fan. I, I would laugh at that. I'd be like, they're more of a softball league. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking Not many things could embarrass me. But if you would say this, this would embarrass me. Cody, you're just like everyone else. Cody, you're common. Cody, we put you in a room of 50 people, you'd be common. You'd be like everyone else. Why would that embarrass me? Because holiness means not common, set apart. If I watch you, if I would follow you tomorrow and with your friends, would you be set apart? Would you be different? Would you have a life of holiness where people would see that person is different? They're not common in a world that we live in. Holiness is a very serious thing. Of all the attributes we have of God, His love, peace, joy, He's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6. The eyes of the Lord move throughout the earth, longing to support those whose hearts are completely His, set apart from the profane. So when we talk about holiness, we naturally have to look at this word that we don't like, sin. And sadly today, we take this word sin in in our issues and we kind of make it so light. Or as one of the Christian songs that came out a couple years ago, when it was talking about sin, take these chains and break them slowly. Slowly? Anyone who is in bondage, they don't want rip them off. Or a common phrase we hear today. Yeah, I have a vice. I have an issue with sin, but I'm working on it. I've got some issues. It's, it's a vice. We make it so little. If sin is little, then it makes light of the seriousness of what Christ did. Because sin is so grave, so deep, the remedy of the cross is so right. That's what Romans is all about. We are to be a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice, set apart from the profane, dedicated to the service of the Lord. You belong to Christ. You are His. In the Old Testament, to make something holy, they just wouldn't go, hey, there's a bunch of sheep, grab that one, throw them in the, the temple. Or let's say they would take a bowl, and they would say, oh, that's a good one, they go to the market, let's use that to wash the hands. No, first it had to be chosen, set apart. And we see that we are chosen in Him, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. We have been chosen, set apart. Number two, after they choose something, it had to be cleaned. It couldn't just be thrown into the temple or the tabernacle. It had to be cleansed. And that's what last week was all about. We have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And thirdly, it had to be dedicated to the work of the Lord. So I even want to step back and say this. Do you understand Romans 1 through 11? Do you understand the cross? Do you see that it's not about you working for it, not about you trying to attain it? 
He's done it. You don't have to try to do it for yourself. It's His righteousness, His holiness, not yours. That's what gives us life. And out of that, we are to now live and be holy. I wrote this down. When we are changed by the gospel, this change must be shown in our conduct. Let me say that again. Especially if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but I've got issues. Listen to this. When we are changed by the gospel, this change must be shown in our conduct. We've been set apart for the sole use of God and His work. When's the last time you seriously looked at sin and said, I'm done, I'm tired of this sin, I'm tired of these habits. Instead of trying to work for it, trying to do it on your own, try to crusade about it, trying to memorize more Bible verses, trying to go to the next conference to do it, realize it's already been taken care of in the cross. He has paid that price for you. You are no longer slaves to that. Again, Romans 6. How serious are you you about sin? Or as Hebrews chapter 12 says, even to the point of shedding blood, I tell some of my students this. Get to the point where you declare war on sin. Get so serious about sin where you just say, enough, I will cut it off, even to the point of shedding blood. But some of us are too pathetic or too weak to even think of that. When we look upon the beauty of the cross, how could we not throw ourselves and say, I will live for you and I will live a holy life pleasing and acceptable to you? Holiness. We, in our culture, celebrate people who are talented, who have a certain look about them, how they can talk, how they can plan things to get things done. And sadly, in our Christian society today, we we don't look for holy men and women of God. I would encourage you, Find someone who you say, that's a holy man, that's a holy woman of God, and hang with them. Learn from them. But how do we become holy? Well, first, it's been done in the cross. It's taken care of in the cross. But now we're to live holy. What what does that look like? What does that mean? And this may sound so much like a Sunday school answer, but it's right here. Keeping your fingers in the Word. Staying in the Word. Let me explain kind of what that would look like. I I love the camp ministry. I'm I'm the pastor at a Bible camp. I I love being there. There's many things I enjoy about that. You put me in the office for like 10 minutes and I just get a little stir crazy. I want to jump out and just chew on a tree just to kind of purify myself from being in the office. I just, and not my style. And there's aspects I, I love. In fact, 
I, I do a lot of discipleship programs that there, and, and one of the requirements for the discipleship program that I have is you have to get a fishing license. Why? Because we're going to fish every day. Some, some people are like, yeah. Some people are like, oh, what do you do? I love it. Luke was with me this summer, all summer, and we had a great time goofing around outside. And one thing I love about the camping ministry is I love campfires. Some of you like campfires. And, or, or just even the smell of a campfire. Maybe you're driving, you get that smell, you're like, oh, I just, I love being around, not the smoke of the campfire where you're saying your, your eyes are burning out, and you're, not, not, not like that, but just, you know, just that smell of a campfire is just so, it kind of takes me away. When I was a little boy, I, I was very, I'm still weird, but I would go camping with our, like, little Boy Scout Christian club, and everyone would go to sleep, and this is for real. When I was a little boy, I would, everyone would go, go in their tents, we'd, we'd pile up, and I would pull up these clothes, brand, not brand new clothes, but fresh clothes, and lay them around the campfire. And I would get up before everyone else and take those clothes and put them back in my bag. And then I would go home and hide them from my mom because if she saw them, oh, throw them, wash them up. I'd hide them, and that way if I knew, like, if a math test was coming up, I'd don that shirt, put it on, sit in math. Oh, yeah. Oh, take me away. Just the smell of that shirt would be like, yeah, the teacher would be like, oh, Cody got it. Oh, I got it. Oh, yeah. But that campfire kind of colognes your skin. I can be at camp, get the guitar out, play some songs around the campfire, go home, scrub down, crawl in the bed with my wife who's sitting back there, and she'd be like, you, had a, you were by a campfire. How could you tell? Because that smoke colognes, it permeates your skin. Listen, when you sit before the presence of God in His Word, soaking in it, meditating on it, His presence colognes your skin. It saturates your soul. It helps you become more holy in the ways you should be. And in this, when you walk away from it, people will notice. They'll smell it on you. I don't know if you've ever had times where you you get by someone and you just realize something's about, that is a godly person. I can guarantee it's because it's all about this. Stay in the Word. Go home and memorize Psalm 119. 170-some verses, but it's all about the Word, the Word, the Word, and the benefits of it. I've recently just read through the Old Testament again, and I'm amazed that primarily this is what God says. Worship me alone. Obey me. Obey, 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 obey. Deuteronomy. Trust me. If you want to live a holy life, Stay in His Word. Soak this up for the purpose of godliness and that others would see Christ in you. Read this again. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and, what's the last one? Pleasing. What does it mean to have a pleasing sacrifice what pleases the lord what pleases him well living for him and having a holy life is definitely something that pleases him we are to do things that please him not please yourself i'll give an example a few valentine's days ago i decided to get my wife a great present a great gift i was like man this is kind of the romantic day every day should be romantic but this is like the day you're supposed to be romantic, so I'm going to get her the best gift. I was excited. It was in a small little envelope. I was like, yeah. She's kind of like, ooh. 
because I can sometimes be creative. She kind of gets this thing. She opens it up and pulls out some lipstick. She reads it and says, bacon-flavored chapstick. And I'm thinking, man, if she puts this on her lips, I'll be kissing her all the time. I love bacon. This would be great. In my mind, I was like, this is so pleasing. Man, put this all over your face. Oh, you know? Okay, not like that. <laughs> Bacon-flavored chapstick. How many of you think that's kind of a cool idea? Like, okay, two of you. Let's go and have a bacon feast or something. There's something about bells like, oh, this will be great. This will be a hit. She just gave me this look and was like, you've got to be kidding me. People get roses, people get all this night, and you give me bacon-flavored chapstick. She put a little on, I gave her a kiss, she's like, she wipes it off. I'm like, let me wipe it off, you know? (laughs) See, this was all pleasing for me. What's pleasing to him? Here's what's pleasing to him, that you obey him. Please read John 15. John 15 talks about what, what, what are the disciples, what do they look like? They're ones who abide, remain, abide or dwell. Those are the three kind of words that are the same thing. Remain in me, remain in me, abide in me. That's what pleases the Lord. If you obey me, you will remain in my word. It's always back to the word. It should be. Abide, remain in him. Bear fruit, John 15. Love others. Have joy. Those are the things that please the Lord. Use me in any way. And here it is. Complete surrender to the Lord. Some of you may be into tattoos. If you are, please get John 3.30 as a tattoo. Maybe upside down on your belly so you can see it every day. He must... Increase, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. John 3.30. What pleases the Lord? Let me give you an example of what this would look like. At the camp that I work at, we have discipleship programs where I take high school and college students and we, we, take, we do a two-week intensive discipleship program. Then we do another four-week intensive discipleship program. Then we have an, a, a two-week program that we go overseas and live it out. We call that kinetic discipleship. And I remember the first time we had this planned out to do, we were going to go down in South America, Bolivia, and work in some orphanages and live this message out and share the love of Jesus with them. And when we do the first two weeks called basic discipleship, uh, it's 13 days of just straight intensive beauty. Is it not beautiful? It's just beautiful. We just sit and we worship the Lord. And then sometimes we, we have just prayer and worship for two hours. And I can shut her down. Why? So we can do it again tomorrow. All right, let's go. You know, it's just, we're just, it's like sitting before the campfire for 13 days. And it's just so beautiful. I did that for 13 days. I don't get much sleep. I get maybe four to five hours of sleep. I, I pray a lot at night. I just, I, just, I just give myself completely to the students. We just, it's beautiful. We did two weeks, 13 days of that, and then I had half a day off, and then the kinetic team was coming the next day, and we just kind of laid around my house. And like, I was kind of drooling. I was like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, let's go to Bolivia and just share the love of Jesus. We get in the airplane. I'm kind of tall, lanky. I'm, oh, I can't. Airplanes aren't really my style, but... We fly down there. I'm exhausted. I'm tired, but I've had 13 days in the presence of God and just so beautiful. We kind of spill out of the airplane and we, we, we get there and the 
Heather's there to meet us, the, the chiropractic doctor. We get in this little bus, this micro, with this guy, Pastor Juan, and we're driving. And she goes, hey, before we unload our stuff, we're going to stop by one orphanage. We only ch- chance to stop there. I'm like, okay, great. She goes, it's Ebenezer. I'm like, oh, 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 Ebenezer. And I go, hey, guys, this is a place where, and I'm trying to be politically correct. I'm just like, this is a place where there's boys there that just... Their eyes don't line up, their hands don't work, their bodies don't function, their brains aren't really connected to their bodies. They don't even speak Spanish. I don't even speak Spanish. They, just, they drool a lot. They've got a lot of issues. Let's just go love them. They're like, okay, let's do it. We pull up, the doors open up, we get out, and they open up the orphanage door, and they just, the kids kind of just get out there, and, and the people are like, get them back in. They might get hit by a car. So we're like, oh, frankly, we kind of get in these kids. And I step off the bus, and this boy grabs my hand. And he kind of looks at me, meh, meh, meh. And I'm like, okay and he's kind of taking me and right away heather stares at me like something's wrong i'm like what's wrong what's wrong am i drooling i, I should be drooling i'm so tired and we, we kind of start he's like man takes me inside of the thing and as soon as we walk in the director and workers stare at me like something's wrong i'm like something's wrong is my zipper down what's 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 going on am I, something's wrong I, I can sense but this boy goes man he just gazes at my face and he takes my hand and i'm touching his face and he touches my hair he's like Mah. he's kind of looking at me and i'm like Hey, I kind of, what's his name? Roberto. I'm like, Roberto, mi amigo. I'm staring at me, staring at me, and we're just kind of staring at each other. I'm like, hola, you know, okay. And he takes me a couple steps to his place where all the boys sleep, and I just, I'm taken by the urine smell. He's like, uh, uh, he kind of points, and he takes a couple steps to where they eat, and there's like, you know, some bananas hanging there. I'm like, wow, and just, and everyone's staring at me, and something's wrong. He's kind of looking at me, and I'm just gazing in his eyes, and he's chewing on his shirt, and okay, and. I just pray for him a little bit. I'm just like, hey, buddy, you're my buddy. He's hugging me. He's strong. He's squeezing me. I'm like, whoa. Spending two hours there. We, we leave and spend two weeks down there. It was beautiful. We go back home. Two months later, get an email from Heather. She goes, remember Roberto? I'm like, yeah, Roberto, mi amigo. She goes, let me tell you a story. When he was born, his parents probably realized right away that something was wrong. They literally put him on the street. Just put him on the street. And the only people that found him were male prostitutes. Can you imagine a broken body already? And then a bunch of wickedness thrown into the vat. He's brought up by male prostitutes. Oh, horrible. But he was rescued. He was rescued. Someone found him and got him out of there, and he moved from orphanage to orphanage. No one could handle him. He was a lunatic, crazy. His body, just other things, just horrible things. And finally ended up at Ebenezer. No one could touch him because he was crazy. Not only because of because of the sin and the horrible things. No one could touch him. And when you stepped off that bus, he held your hand. We freaked out. What is going on? You walked in there, he walked around, he was looking at your eyes, you were looking at his eyes. We are like, what is happening? He was gentle with you. We were like, what's going on? And today we can touch him. We can work with him. Let me tell you, I didn't get off the bus and pull out some big, cool Bible and say, be healed. I didn't say, here's my favorite verse, Roberto, in Spanish. And I sat for days sitting in the presence of God saying, God, use me in any way. I'll be a living sacrifice. I'll be a holy sacrifice. I will please you in any way. Those are the kind of vessels that God uses to impact the kingdom. Will you be a part of that? 
How could you not, in light of the cross, how could you not, after the cross, say, I will be a living sacrifice for you. I will please you in any way. I will be holy for your kingdom. That's what will transform this church, Eau Claire, the greatest state of the Union, Wisconsin, and this world. People who first catch a glimpse of the cross and realize the reality of it, chapter 1 through 11, Romans, and then Romans 12, one and following, it's imperative, live for him. Let's finish this verse, says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of, what's the word? Oh, get that down. There are three words I'm going to study the rest of my life in Scripture. Holiness, glory, and worship. Whenever I have free time, that's what I study. This is one of the greatest composites of what worship is. Worship is realizing who God is and the beauty of the cross and responding to that and saying, I will live as worship to you. Everything I do, my body, my life, my family is worship to you. Because of the cross, we worship him. That's what this is about. This is worship, the sacrifice of your body in holy, pleasing ways as we live each day to God. Not one part, but the whole, our mind, our body, our heart. This is true worship. Easter has come. But it's not gone. Guess what? I wake up every morning. I celebrate Easter. As I look upon the cross. Do something about what Christ has done to you. Respond. And maybe Easter needs to be real in your heart. You need to respond that way. Then respond. Respond to the beauty of the cross that you don't have to do it. It's not your work, not your effort. That's stinky to the Lord. It's His righteousness, His work. We can't do it. And if you've already taken that step, respond by saying, I will completely live for you. I'm tired of living so others see me. I will live for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the cross. And I pray that we would remember the reality of what you have done. That it should be us, but you, in your grand design, you were my substitute. And out of that, I have life. God, may I not live for me. May I live so others see you. May I live in such a way that I'm just so in the word that it just, it, it bleeds out of me. And people smell it and people want to come to understand what is this kingdom about? What is the whole good news of Christianity? God, I pray that we make that resolve in our heart that we would live for you. And, and also the resolve, Lord, if there's some people in here that are struggling with sin, of habits, and disgusting things that you would awaken them and show them the reality of the cross and the power in the cross. And that they would declare war on sin. It's done and cut it off. 
Thank you for the beauty of worship, not just in song, not just in word, but in deed and actions. And be with us as we remember your cross every day. In Jesus' name, amen.